Do I still have to redact it, even though you guys are on record? It's called TSFCI. I think I'm a little nicer in real life than I am on Twitter. It's not hard. Feminist like mileage accounts. Joe, there's something I cannot debate with you, and that is the job of White House press secretary. You are you were the 19th. I've lost count, but you're one of about two dozen um, who've held the job. It is tough. Yeah. I think more bad than good. Um, I think the only person that's been like you since is uh, I can't believe I'm blanking on his name. Obama's last. Josh. Josh Ernest. Yeah, Josh. And by the way, the fact yeah. I'm blanking on his name is a fantastic sign. Um, we have, to me, the person most damaging to America that is not named Trump has been Sarah Sanders, who I have not affectionately called Sarah Slanders. And look, obviously people, you can say all sorts of things. Kellyanne, I, I'm I'm talking rhetorically. Mm-hmm. She has been, for a staff job, she has been remarkably damaging. And you've written a piece about how she's not done the job, how she went about the job, what the job should be, could be, and where it goes. And I'm curious. Um, I want to hear you elaborate on that, but I'm I'm curious if you think there even can be a press secretary for Donald Trump and them not be like Sanders or Spicer. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, that's really the, the question that you can't fully answer, but I think we all know the answer to, which is, you know, you really can't have a traditional uh, press secretary uh, because you have a president um, who has no impulse control. So will say anything, anytime, just because he feels like it. You have a president who has no conscience, uh, and you have a president who um, um, lies with such impunity and regularity that I actually think he believes his own lies. And it's it's more of a mental illness than a uh, character flaw. Um, so, and you have a president who is um, uh, not fit for taking any kind of criticism. Uh, you know, Philippe, we've worked. You've worked with a lot of politicians. I've worked with a lot of politicians. Uh, I've. I, it's. It's. It's not always easy, but <laughs> I've never worked for a politician who, at the end of the day, I couldn't say, "You screwed that up. You have to do better." Um, and you know, you, it's not. I would always, often wait for the end of the day. Yeah, so at the I end of leave. the day. Yeah, <laughs> leave. And you know, when no one else was around. See you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, and then like get the hell out of there. Um, but I don't get the sense that there's that if there ever was anybody who would tell Donald Trump the truth, that um, he doesn't know what he's doing. If there was, they're not there anymore. Uh, so it's a long-winded way of saying I just don't know that you can fill the job. But let me spend a second on how how I think Sarah Sanders failed, and I was not rooting for her to fail. I have a vested interest in that job being um, respected. Uh, maybe even revered, you know, among insiders. Uh, and I think there is a pretty tight fraternity among people 
who've had the job out of out of respect, not because we all like each other. I, some I like, some I don't like. Um, uh, but I've certainly never publicly criticized a press secretary before. And you know, if you've been anywhere near my Twitter feed, you know that that stopped uh, with with uh, Sarah Sanders. Um, uh, I think she failed on sort of three main fronts. One was, I think it is the press secretary's job to regularly, on a daily basis, daily, that means every day, inform the public. Stand up there and take the questions. Because the questions themselves represent what's what America needs to know. You don't have to answer them. You can say, I don't have anything for you on this day. Or you can say, I don't feel like answering that. But at least there is a forum, a regular forum, that everyone in the White House knows. We, we're going to have to face the press today. And it has a, it has a very powerful internal discipline uh, on the White House as far as decision-making. And as far as people, you know, a lot of people who work at the White House are good people. They're not going to do anything wrong. A lot of people who work at the White House aren't good people, but they're not going to do something if they know they're going to get caught. Well, the briefings are places where people get caught because questions have to be answered. So she has failed there. She failed in the second most important function, and these are all equal. Um, she wasn't honest. Um, and it wasn't just she told a white lie here or there. She was fundamentally dishonest. Um, we know this. We're not guessing. We know that she told a whopper of a lie in a briefing, and then when she had to raise her right hand under oath, she said, no, that's not true. I made it up. And as soon as she got back to the White House and was asked about it, she backtracked to, well, you know, maybe what I was saying was true in spirit. And, you know, there were some, but not maybe many. And that, that um, tells you that this is a fundamentally dishonest person. The entire job is based on trust. And the trust goes both ways. If, you're, if you have any chance of succeeding in that job, the president and his staff have to trust you. You can't do the job if they won't tell you things. If the president doesn't say, here's what's happening, here's what you can say, here's what you can't say, um, and if you don't respect that and, you, and the president believes that you're handing out secrets that shouldn't be handed out, um, he's not going to work with you. And with the press, you know, when you lie to the press and they know you've lied, uh, unless there's some extenuating circumstances, you know, you're dead to them. Um, and, you know, smearing uh, Jim Comey was not an extenuating circumstance. You know, an extenuating circumstance, an example is there are troops that are moving and people ask you, are you t contemplating military action? And, you know, there are, there are pretty good ways to answer that question without answering the question and not putting. But, you know, I could see a circumstance where you would, uh, press secretary, not me, but other press secretaries have denied it, flat out denied it when they knew it to be true because they thought it was helping to save lives. You know, that's, that's something you can do. There's nothing to debate about Sarah. She is a liar um, and uh, failed in that respect. The third, which is a little squishier, but um, I think you know, to me is just as important, is she normalized and vouched for the idea that the press is the enemy of the people. You know, presidents say all sorts of things, you know, and, you know, they pop off, and uh, one of the jobs of the press secretary is to sometimes, you know, become the chief nuance officer of the government, <laughs> the, you know, or the director of clarification. 
this is what the president meant or you know you know this is the situation you know you do you do the little dance to let the message out that that's not really what we believe it just happened to be what he said on that day and you know every good press secretary has done it and every good president has looked at the president has looked at the press secretary in the eye and said i understand why you did that good job you know cuz i was out on a limb there or or that but Sarah took the opposite approach. She had every opportunity, day after day after day, to say the, the, the president's just blowing off steam. All presidents think they get an unfair press. But the, we, there's no one here who really believes the press is the enemy of the state. And she went the opposite way. She doubled down on it. Uh, and, I, you know, I don't think the public should ever forgive her for that. I know I won't. Um, do you... See, it's funny when when they stopped briefing live. I applauded because I felt giving her a live feed right into people's veins of lies was obviously a terrible thing. But it overwhelmed the system. The Trump and his minions, particularly Kellyanne Conway and Sarah Sanders, they cannot be interviewed on live TV. They overwhelm the system with lies that you can't say stop. <laughs> you can't say that was a lie because then it just degenerates. You can't say pause. We're going to take a 45 second time out to put a graphic up to show why you lie. So you're, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, your predecessor, Mike McCurry, who was a different style, um, but he was very much in a transparency. He's the one who installed cameras in the briefing room. I think he has since said that he regrets that. Oh, he, oh, definitely. He said that. And I can see why. I mean, you have a lot of grandstanding. You have a lot of people rehearse the question in the mirror because the question is as important as the answer. I mean, how would you tweak it? I used to. <clears throat> I, I won't name the reporter, but he's a well-known reporter. Uh, he used to be one of these guys who rehearsed his answers in the bathroom and um it's, this is hard to explain uh, on a podcast, but there are there, there's a camera that's shooting you from the front. There's also a camera when you're standing at the podium. There are three or four cameramen standing over your uh, left shoulder um, to get a picture of your back and to get a picture of the reporters asking the questions. They use it to get the reporters' questions or to edit your a- answer. Um, and when this one reporter in particular would ask one of his scripted questions... I would pause and I turn to his cameraman and say, "Are you sure you got that? Because we could do it again." And it enraged him. But um, and that's what I—that's why I did it. Um, there was a question in there someplace. I actually no, tweak it. I, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I would tweak it, but not the way Mike uh, would tweak it. And I think there's a broader uh, uh, question here. You know, Mike, inter- Mike came from the State Department where. The tradition to put the camera, put the cameras and allow coverage with cameras started with the Iran hostage crisis with Hotting Carter, <clears throat> you know, in the in the Carter administration. And I think he believed strongly that uh, transparency warranted that. I'm talking too much. If you're going to cough, can you leave the room, please? Yes. Yeah. I, I already did, I did that bit this morning with my co-host on my podcast. She wouldn't leave. I mean, I don't get it. Anyway, I made her acting co-host, so it's. <laughs> um, I I would do this differently, um, and I think it goes with the president too. I think 
um, live coverage for a president or a spokesperson for the president is a privilege, not a right. And the privilege derives from a mutual understanding that you will do your very best to tell the truth and be accurate with the American public. I believe Trump, Kellyanne, and um, uh, Sarah Sanders and whoever's next have destroyed that privilege. So I believe, and I wrote a piece about this a while ago that no one paid any attention to, uh, that anyone from the Trump administration uh, should everything should be live to tape mm-hmm. and then an editor should make an you know an editorial person should make a decision that this is the truth or is not and then in real time when they put it on stop it and say the president here is contradicting u.s policy or the president said just the opposite yesterday or this is false um because you know listen i understand that the trump people would come back and say you're denying us the right to communicate with the american public well, first off, you've got Twitter, so you're not silent. Secondly, what's the difference between whether a pool spray is aired at 11.23 in the morning or 11.46? And do you know what that would do? Mm-hmm. That would make them be stick closer to the truth because they'd want this stuff out and they don't want someone coming on saying the president misspoke here. And you're right. What they do is they flood the zone. They, they overwhelm the system with information, and you can't catch up. I, I, I watched uh, uh, the Stephanopoulos interview. I was thinking the same thing. And I think George was masterful. He was. Because, and people have criticized him for yep. letting him get away with lies. Well, if every time the president lied, George said, Mr. President, it's not true, it would have disintegrated. Trump would have taken it, walked up. He would, George was very judicious about where he stopped him. Uh, and then very good in putting the show together to say in the narration, you know, the president was not being truthful here. But, you know, but he did it enough that he got a, you're a wise guy, George. That's how you knew he, you know, I don't think he was trying to get under his skin, but he sure did. Because anyone who tries to get from truth gets under Trump's skin. So I, I, I actually just thought it was a, a, a really, really fine piece of work by George. Um, because, like, if it had been me, I would have stopped him every time he lied. And it, the, the whole thing, it wouldn't have been 30 hours. It would have been, it would have been like his time with Stormy Daniels, 30 seconds with Donald Trump. <laughs> no, I, I, I thought the same thing. I mean, we both know George well enough to know that he is a smart motherfucker. And he, he shrewdly had a game plan. And it was whenever Trump said something that wasn't true, he challenged him. He had a little smirk, like, come on. We know it's not true, but he'd move on so as not to get thrown out of the car or end it. He was playing rope-a-dope. Yeah. He, he was banking on getting to the sit-down interview, and it was in the sit-down interview where he got Trump to say the most damaging thing, not only the interview, but probably the last few months. No, it was smart, and you can't, you can't, you know, you can't stop everyone every 10 seconds as you're lying. Yes, they're lying, yeah. but it degenerates. And well, that's why the thing about live tape is genius because that's on the media. The media won't do it yeah, because live to tape or tape is boring or slowing down the feed is boring. Here, no, here's why they won't do it. They're here because they're afraid someone else won't do it. Oh, yeah. And yeah. that they'll, that yeah. someone will be watching. I'm going to take them randomly. Someone's going to be watching CNN and 
they're going to see on Twitter that the president yep. spoke and CNN says, we'll yep. bring you the president in 10 minutes and they're going to immediately switch to Fox yep. or switch to MSNBC. And it's the competitive nature of the media that, yep. that keeps up happening. I want to make another point about George and I, I, actually, I think he did really well. Yeah. And, you I, know, because I, he didn't say lie, 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 he was getting yeah, crapped on. This is actually not about George. It's about uh, the White House and their skill. Uh, and I do actually think that uh, I don't know that Sarah Sanders woke up that day and decided today's the day. I kind of think it was decided for her. Um, and the bookends of terrible decisions the White House made, putting the president in the American cemetery mm-hmm. in Normandy, one of the most sacred places in the world, if you're an American, where thousands of soldiers died uh, on that day, on D-Day, and will never come home. They're in that cemetery there. Putting him there with that nutcase white supremacist Laura Ingram, knowing that he'd go full Trump on Mueller and anyone else, was one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. I mean, it's beyond malpractice. And then you bookend that with George. And here's why I think George was malpractice. All of the trappings on the White House work on people who've never seen it before. So I'll, I, I, you know, take uh, any um, big name anchor randomly who hasn't seen a lot of this stuff. That stuff works because people kind of do the wow, like, oh wow, I'm in the presidential limo, I'm in the Oval Office, I'm in the Garden, I'm in the Rose Garden, all that. George worked there for God's sake for four years. He's been all those places. What do you think he would? He got in the new car and said, "Hey, boy, Donna, you got a new car. This is this is cool. Forget all those obstruction questions. Let's talk. How many horsepower has this got? I mean, it's just ridiculous that just from a a decision making process of thinking through how do we use our assets here, it was crazy to 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 pick George." Uh, not because I think they expected a tough interview, because naturally you would, but none of the trappings had any impact on him at all. Did George look awed at any point? In, in, in the, the only of course time not. His, I mean, again, we know him well enough to know his facial expressions. The the part that I thought he'd get most grief about would be looking at the color schemes for the plane. That he was doing that to oh, of course totally <laughs> patronize Trump <laughs> to like lull him yeah. into a sense of hey yeah. I'm I'm your your buddy yeah. I you, look you're you're 100 right I think they picked George by process of elimination they hate CNN they hate MSNBC they hate NBC basically CBS and ABC were all that's left and someone was probably like oh we haven't done anything with George but it was I have to say though with the I watched it because I was doing a ABC podcast the next day about it and i'm not sure i would have otherwise with the exception of the russia screw up it was not terrible for trump i mostly because he kept his voice down i i'm not sure i agree with that i i you know it's one of these things where to you know it's like a it's like a trailer to a movie that's so good that the movie doesn't live up to your expectations I think the trailers for this interview were so good <laughs> that when you realize that he didn't foam at the mouth for the whole hour, you know, boy, he did a little bit. He probably did a little better. But I thought by the end of it, he looked like a crazed human being. Yeah. Uh, he looked like a guy who was about to stroke out. And uh, so well, he, I guess it's everything's, everything's graded on the curve. Uh, okay, one That's last question. Trump face. Yes. One, <laughs> one last question for you. So most people probably know that uh, – an outgoing president writes a letter 
puts it in the drawer for the incoming president. Sometimes we've been able to read them, sometimes not. Fewer people probably know that it's a White House press secretary tradition. Tell us about that. Well, you know, I'm told that um, it's no longer a tradition because somewhere in the Obama administration they lost the vest. But why ruin a good story with a fact? So here's the good story. I think it was um, Ron Nesson, who was Gerald Ford's second press secretary after his first press secretary quit in protest over the Nixon pardon, Jerry Terhorst. Someone made the comment that you need a flak jacket um, uh, to have the job as White House press secretary, and the press bought him a flak jacket. I mean, a, a vest with Kelvar in it. And he put it in the closet uh, in the White House press secretary office, which is the same office that everybody uses, and he put a note in it for Jody Powell. And Jody Powell put a note in it for Jim Brady, and, and on and on and on. Um, and one of the really cool things about having the job, and there were a lot of cool things, is one of the very first things you do when you get the job is you go in the closet because no one else is supposed to look at it. And I, I never let anybody look at it. Maybe they snuck in my office. But it's in, it was tied up in this little like, um, um, like fancy uh, handkerchief. <laughs> and you get to sit and read the notes from all the press secretaries to each other. Uh, and it's, you know, and by and large, um, nobody talks about it. Um, so you were yours to Ari Fleischer. I, no, I wrote mine to Jake, but Jake Seward. Oh, right, who, right, right. Who right. had the job for the right. last three months. Um, and, um, you know, I gave Jake, knowing Jake as well as I did, and as well as I do, I gave him advice I thought that was good for him. Uh, very specific to Jake. <laughs> uh, and because Jake and I have um, the same problem, which is, the first thing that comes to our head is often not the best thing to say, <laughs> and you train yourself to use the second thing. Um, but uh, it was, you know, it's just one of those um, c- cool and um, concrete uh, manifestations of being in a very, very weird small fraternity. Um, and I, I hope if it is lost, they find it, because... Um, uh, you know, and I hope that you know we'll all be allowed to go back someday and you know look at what has happened in succession. But even reading from, you know, I read the first one that was written in 1977, um, you know, right around the inaugural of Carter, all the way through 2000, yeah, 2000. Uh, and you know, it's just it's something that's very cool. Emily, you want to wrap it up? Sure, I'll wrap it up. Um, I'm just listening to the story. I think it's amazing. I'm thinking it's something should be in the Smithsonian and it's something that would be just amazing for the American people to be able to see, but there's something beautiful about it being so special and so private to everybody who holds that position. Um, Thank you, Joe. I'm so excited you joined us. We're thrilled to be able to talk about the impeachment round two, of course, round three is coming. And also obviously (laughs) next time we're going to have an actual bell that we can ring. Um, and we're also just excited to also be able to obviously talk about the press secretary. My thought, is this a bad thought, Joe? My thought is maybe Sarah made sure that that George Stephanopoulos interview would happen because she knew that Trump would fuck up so badly and it would reflect so poorly that that was like her Hail Mary towards America. And she wasn't maybe as horrible as we say. Not at all, huh? I'd say it's not a bad thought. It's a dreadful thought. <laughs> Okay. You're giving me too much credit. 
You give me credit she doesn't deserve. Here's what I. She's not playing chess of any dimension. Here's what I. Here's what I'd allow. I would allow that. She probably nothing to do with it. Sarah wanted to leave. Sarah was probably tired of being there, but wanted to leave on her own terms. And as things moved, I think as you get to the near the end of your term, you kind of sort of take the you know. Oh, what the fuck? <laughs> let's let's just let's yeah. let's throw him in something and see how he does. Um, but but I really I I actually that's a possibility. I don't believe it. I actually think that um, she wanted to have whatever she was going to do lined up, and I think those two interviews uh, made it untenable. Uh, and the, you know the the irony of all of this is my guess is that the person who gave her the shove was the Mick Mulvaney. And, you know, Mick Mulvaney learned on national TV today the limits of his strategy of letting Trump be Trump because on national TV, we found out that Trump's a dick. Like, you cough during his interview and he throws you out of the office. Well, let Trump be Trump. I mean, <laughs> of all people to get kicked out of the office, that's the one that should have. Seriously, my, well, my thought was, how long do you think, and then we'll, we will wrap it up, who do you think is going to take over for Sanders? I don't think. Do you have it any predictions? I don't think it matters. If I had to, if I had to guess, I'd say the first lady's um, uh, communications Person. director, if she lets her, or or someone who worked at Fox. See, that's the, the okay. thing. Of, so Stephanie Grisham is the first lady's yep. communications director or spokesperson, and you know, in a related, unrelated matter, CNN just did this what I call infomercial about the first lady, and yep. you know that they're all marveling in that this week and it's something she can say look i can handle the press but i always thought that from the beginning they should have hired laura ingram they needed someone up there who can who can ground things in some kind of ideological argument of the case because he doesn't have one well she she could do what tony snow did for for bush which is and they're different personalities tony's tony was easy uh breezy like let's let's have fun here but he had a political point of view, and everyone knew what it was. Hers is, uh, she has a, um, um, a more stern personality uh, and a more lecturing personality. But you're right. It is based in, you know, they're trying to get us. These brown and black people, you know, are, they're really trying to take away what's ours, and we better fight for it. And that's what Trump is ca- campaigns on. Yeah, they shouldn't have put Heather Nauert up for the U.N. ambassadorship. They should have just moved her over. Not that she's so great or so terrible, but that's the mold. Yeah. Well, on that note, I just want to remind everyone who's listening, you can follow us, obviously, on Twitter, and you can follow Joe at Joe Lockhart. Made it easy for us. And you can also catch his podcast as well, Words Matter. And that's at WMM underscore podcast. And you can also look for him on CNN as well. And thank you so, so much for joining us. We were excited to have you and be able to have all these kind of good discussions with you. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, We know where to find you.